0: you're having a fabulous day. I'm super excited to share this week's episode. So if you or anyone you love has any type of diabetes or pre-diabetes, this is the episode to listen to and to share with your loved ones. If diabetes is something that is, if you have conversations or if you've had a conversation with any of your family or friends about diabetes recently, send them this episode. Everyone needs to hear this. So I sat down and talked with Cyrus Kambata of Mastering Diabetes and we had a very informative hour-long talk. And really this hour, if somebody is struggling with diabetes, this hour can change their life. So powerful. So good. Cyrus really makes it um, easy to understand. We stay very much on point and it's just really, really good information um, brought to you in a way that makes sense. So Cyrus is the co-author of the New York Times bestselling book called Mastering Diabetes, The Revolutionary Method to Reverse Insulin Resistance Permanently. He's also the co-founder of the Mastering Diabetes program. Um, You can find uh, all of his stuff on masteringdiabetes.org, but he's helped thousands and thousands of people improve their metabolic health using a low fat plant-based whole food nutrition. So it's very much in line with what we do. And in fact, I have, I've heard about Mastering Diabetes and about Cyrus and Robbie um, for a long time. And a lot of people who subscribe to our meal plans actually have gone through the Mastering Diabetes program or are currently kind of going through it while they're using our meal plans and with some very slight modifications. Uh, so a lot of people I've talked to in our community getting our plans um, are very familiar with with these guys and with this program. So this may not be... Um, Brand new to you these names, and if it is, then lucky you. This is this is great that we really go into. Um, well, I don't go into it; I just listen, um, as Cyrus really goes into nutrition and how the body reacts when we eat different things and why it's so important to eat a low-fat whole food plant-based diet um, and what the alternative does to the body. Um, it's pretty remarkable. And I have to tell you, after an hour talking with him, I've never been so happy to eat a whole food plant-based diet myself. Um, I think it's so true that when, when you start eating this way, I think that what happens naturally is you start learning more about it once you start eating this way. And so the more you learn about it, the more happy you are to be eating this way, (laughs) because it just kind of reaffirms Um, everything. So this is no exception. I hope that you enjoy this episode um, and are as inspired and informed as I was by it. Okay. Enjoy. Welcome Cyrus to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I got Cyrus here from Mastering Diabetes and we were chatting a little bit before I hit record and this has been a long time coming. Um, A lot of people in our community are very familiar with you and your work, and you've helped so 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 many people. So, um, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for chatting with me today, Cyrus. Super happy to have you there,
1: Molly. Molly thank you so much for having me here. Uh, this is a pleasure, and uh, I love the fact that you're providing such high quality information to allow people to transition to a plant based diet. So, you know, if you're helping other people, then you're a friend of mine immediately. So, yeah, so thank
0: you. yeah, awesome. So. Okay. We're going to talk about diabetes. We're going to talk about a lot of things. Now I have um, questions from our community that I want to get to towards the end, but the first thing I want to do is just like very basics. Like, let's just get to the basics. Can you tell me pre-diabetes, type one diabetes, type two diabetes? Can you kind of just give me a quick recap? What are each of those?
1: Sure. Okay. Okay. So the way that I like to think about it is basically there's there's three different flavors of diabetes, if you will. You go to an ice cream shop and you can get 31 different flavors if you're in Baskin Robbins. You go to the diabetes store, you can get three different flavors, okay? Flavor number one is called autoimmune. Flavor number two is called lifestyle. Flavor number three is called female, okay? So the first one, autoimmune, that that's type 1 and 1. 1.5 diabetes. So type 1 and 1. 1.5 are autoimmune conditions, which you don't necessarily inflict upon yourself. They are Induced by any number of uh, lifestyle. Sorry, they're in, induced by any number of um, factors from the outside world. That could either be a virus that you contracted at some point in your childhood. It could be uh, researchers have found that um, mothers who wean their children off of breast milk and towards cow's milk at a young age, usually before the the age of one, end up increasing their risk for type one diabetes. And so, you know, there's both sort of like environmental as well as genetic considerations that, that factor into it. Type 1.5 diabetes is also an autoimmune condition, but it affects people over the age of 30. And it is a slow onset version of type 1 diabetes. So it's adult onset, slow progressing type 1 diabetes. Okay. So those are the, those two fall into the autoimmune flavor. Okay. The next flavor is called lifestyle. And lifestyle is basically pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes. And this affects 92% of the diabetes population. It's massive, okay? And those two forms of diabetes are basically induced by your lifestyle. They're created based off of your how much alcohol you consume, whether you smoke cigarettes, are you sedentary, are you active, are you overweight, what type of food are you eating, are you eating excess calories, are you, do you have a high-fat diet, do you have a low-fat diet, and beyond. So... All of those sort of lifestyle considerations can contribute to the, the, uh, the, the, the risk of you developing uh, prediabetes. And if you do develop prediabetes, uh, and then you do not correct prediabetes to go back to the non-diabetic world, you can then progress prediabetes into type 2 diabetes. And, um, and, and But the, the beauty is that both of them are actually reversible conditions, and we can get into that sort of later, okay? So that's flavor number one, flavor number two. Flavor number three, I said, is called female, okay? Female basically means that it's it's a a type of diabetes that affects only women. It's called gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes is effectively uh, the diabetes of pregnancy that some women develop. Usually women who develop gestational diabetes have actually been living with high blood glucose and or the underlying condition called insulin resistance. And they actually have been living with that for many years. They just didn't know. And so it's pregnancy that induces a uh, a very erratic blood glucose control. And then at the uh, 28-week marker when they go get an oral glucose tolerance test, their doctor says, oh, hey, by the way, did you know that your blood glucose is actually quite high? And that's their first time that they say, wait a minute, diabetes? What are you talking about? I didn't know anything about this. And then it's their opportunity to make some significant changes. Um, When it comes to gestational diabetes, women who, even though it is considered like a temporary form of diabetes, Having gestational diabetes significantly increases your risk for the development of type 2 diabetes after pregnancy, and it also increases the risk for your child to develop type 2 diabetes at some point, even in their adolescent life. So it's definitely worth paying attention to.
0: Mm. Okay. Beautiful recap. Good. Good. I mean, not good, but good to know. Okay. So <laughs> so we got those three, three flavors covered. I like how you broke that down. So if I am the average person eating an average, mm-hmm. let's say, standard American diet, and I go to my doctor and my doctor says, hey, you have diabetes, what typically will that doctor tell me to do?
1: Yeah, great question. So when I was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in 2002, um, I didn't know what I could do to try and control my blood glucose. And at that time, my medical staff said it's uh, the only option that you really have to control your blood glucose and keep it controllable, but then also limit the amount of insulin that you're using and prevent yourself from using you know more and more insulin into the future is a low-carbohydrate diet. And that means that you, uh, you know, low carbohydrate diet is sort of an umbrella term for any diet that restricts its carbohydrate intake usually to about 150 grams per day or less, right? So 150, maybe 100 grams per day. Some people go as low as 75. Some people go as low as 30, depending on how aggressive you want to be. But the idea is that when you're eating a low carbohydrate diet, you are eating white meat, red meat, chicken, fish, dairy products, oils, things like turkey burgers, uh, cheese, and you know, quote lean meats um, in general. Then you can also have nut butters, peanut butter, um, you know, almond butter, and the like. And you're trying to reduce your intake of all carbohydrate-rich foods, whether they are refined, that come from things like cookies, crackers, chips, pastas, bread, sodas, and uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, or whether they come from whole carbohydrates like fruits and vegetables and legumes and whole grains. So the the world of carbohydrate is sort of like unfortunately talked about as though it's just this like one you know one size fits all approach that you know the you know drinking a soda is the equivalent of eating a banana or having white table sugar is the equivalent of eating a mango right and unfortunately that's just so far from the truth it's it's almost embarrassing but carbohydrates are sort of uh you know you're recommended to eat as low of a carbohydrate diet as possible and then, in substitution for those carbohydrates that you're not consuming, eat more protein-rich foods and eat more fat-rich foods, and then um, you know continue to adopt this low-carbohydrate methodology into the future.
0: Okay. Yes. So
1: that's what I was told in 2002. Okay. That's still pervasive now. It's gotten even stronger, and and the you know there are millions of people around the world who are told to eat a low-carbohydrate diet because living with diabetes effectively means that you're allergic to carbohydrates. That's the messaging. And it's actually a fundamentally incorrect Okay.
0: So if I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, okay, you have diabetes, you're in the diabetic range or whatever, you you have to like watch your carbs, you know, we'll put you on this um, diabetes diet probably, right? There's like a standard issue diabetes diet. Um, Mm -hmm. Does it work? Mm.
1: Does it work? Okay, that's a great question. So let me put it this way. the um, If you were to follow a low-carbohydrate diet, okay, so low-carbohydrate diet, again, is an umbrella term. And underneath the umbrella of low-carbohydrate, you have um, the Atkins diet that was originally invented back in the 1970s and then recreated back in the 1990s. Okay, very low-carbohydrate diet. You also have things like you know, the Zone diet, the South Beach diet, those are all technically considered low-carbohydrate diets. Then you got the Paleo diet, that's a low-carbohydrate diet. You got the Ketogenic diet, which is a very low-carbohydrate diet. And then you also have a Carnivore diet, which is also a very low-carbohydrate diet, okay? So all of those fit within underneath that umbrella, okay? If you eat any of those diets, the reason why those that, those eating patterns became popular in the first place is because they are rapid weight loss tools, that is the number one reason why people are attracted to eating a low carbohydrate diet because it is a very powerful low uh, i'm sorry weight loss tool and what most people discover is that when they start eating a low carbohydrate diet that the weight just falls right off of them when i say falls i mean you know in the first month it's not uncommon for people to lose something like 12 to 16 pounds in one month and then by the time they hit month two, month three, month four, before you know it, they have 20 pounds off of them, 25, 30 pounds. And then a lot of their biomarkers begin to improve because as they lose weight, they find that their cholesterol drops, right? Their total cholesterol will drop. Their triglyceride value will drop. Their A1C, which is a three-month three marker of blood glucose control, that drops. Their fasting blood glucose drops. Uh, their blood pressure will drop, and uh, they start to see all these you know, biomarkers move in the right direction, and they look at their, themselves on a piece of paper, and they go, whoa, are you, tell, are you telling me in the last three months I've lost 26 pounds, and I've lowered you know, my cholesterol, my blood pressure, my blood glucose? Um, I'm going to continue to do this. Clearly, this is working. I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to do this, mm-hmm. right? So to answer your question, does it work? The answer is absolutely. It works like wildfire in the short term, However, there's a huge elephant in the room, which is, does it also work in the long term? The long term is anything longer than, you know, it's vague, but anything longer than, you know, a year, two years, three years, five years into the future. And if you look into the scientific research, which is something that I've spent, you know, way too many hours doing myself, and, you know, having tried to really answer this question for myself as objectively Mm -hmm. as possible, you have to take a look at many different types of research studies. Because there's research studies that are conducted, as an example, in a metabolic ward that happen over the course of two weeks in a highly controlled environment. Then you have other types of studies that are, you know, six-week-long studies with 50 participants where they're not in a metabolic ward but they're actually at home. Then you have other studies that are randomized control trials that can last anywhere from three to six months and that tell you a slightly different story. And then you have what are called epidemiological studies, which study 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people over the course of two to 10 years and try and figure out what happens to people over the long course, a long long time. And what the research shows is that the short-term studies demonstrate significant positive benefits, just like we Mm -hmm. talked about. But as you fast forward in time and you get to that one-year time point, the two years, the five years, and so on and so forth, you see a number of problems. Number one, adherence way down. Okay. It's very easy to stick to a low-carbohydrate diet, especially a, low, a very, a very low-carbohydrate diet um, in the short term because you get all these benefits that come along with it. But usually somewhere around the six-month marker, nine-month marker, 12-month marker, it becomes very hard to follow a very low-carbohydrate diet, and you see a lot of people just like stopping doing it. So adherence goes from something like, I don't know, you know 85%, 90% south of 20% because it's just, it's just flat-out hard to eat that way um and then in addition to that there's a lot of these like adverse side effects that come along for the ride and the adverse side effects are all s- symptoms of one root condition and that one root condition is called insulin resistance so effectively by eating a low carbohydrate diet you eat yourself into an insulin resistant state of a highly highly insulin resistant state and 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 I can go talk about what that actually means in a second but Let's just assume that that's a true statement. You eat yourself into a highly insulin-resistant state. And then a lot of the symptomology of living in an insulin-resistant state starts to manifest itself, including, number one, high LDL cholesterol, which is the quote-unquote bad cholesterol that predicts your risk for a future cardiac event. You don't want that number high, and that tends to creep up pretty quickly. Number two, total cholesterol starts to creep up. Number three, what's called ApoB, which is a measure of, you know, the atherogenic or like the the dangerous cholesterol in your blood, that also tends to creep up. Number four, triglycerides, that tends to creep up. Number five, A1C value tends to creep up significantly. Number six, fasting blood glucose tends to start creeping up into the, you know, pre-diabetic range or sometimes type 2 diabetes range. And then the initial weight that people lost, either people plateau or they start to like start to gain that weight back over the course of time. And so it kind of does this U-shaped curve where it kind of comes down and then flattens out and then starts to creep up. And then you have a whole bunch of these like, uh, what do you call them, like ancillary health conditions that come along for the ride. And these are things that are like, they're not actual diseases, but they're symptoms that don't feel good. Um, Gas, bloating, constipation, abdominal pain. So like, you know, dysbiosis, which is a, you know, very painful and, you know, very uncomfortable uh metabolic state that affects your digestive system, that can happen. That happens frequently. And that's as um, a result of
0: not enough carbohydrates or eating a very low carbohydrate diet.
1: That's okay. exactly right. It, it's it's a mm-hmm. it's a direct result of eating a low carbohydrate mm-hmm. diet. And then in addition to that, you know, people mm-hmm. end up with uh um they they get very low energy and they sometimes people get brain fog and um and a lot of times people just they feel so like Uh, the the energy level is actually one thing that we've heard over and over and over again that people are just like, man, like maybe I'm just getting old quickly, but like, I don't know where my energy is. Right. And that's a, it's not a diagnosable condition, but it's a real thing. And uh, it can become fairly problematic Mm -hmm. over time.
0: Okay. Really concise to the point. Love it. Um, Why does eating a very low carbohydrate make people lose so much weight so quickly?
1: Why does it make them? Yeah. Great, great question. Okay, so weight loss, the reason why weight loss happens, there's actually multiple reasons why weight loss happens in, in the short term, okay? First things first, when you consume a diet that's high in uh, dietary fat and or dietary protein, which tends to happen in a low-carbohydrate world, okay, um, the, uh, the fat and uh, protein basically travels down your esophagus. It goes into your stomach. It starts to get unfolded and unprepackaged or unpackaged, and then it gets inside of your small intestine, where there are there's a whole cocktail of digestive uh, enzymes that are secreted by your liver and your small intestine and your pancreas to go sort of start to degrade those uh, those those nutrients and then cut them into the smallest pieces possible and then absorb them through the walls of your small intestine and put them in your blood so they can go elsewhere. Okay, so in that process, your your small intestine has a way of detecting what is inside of it and it can detect how much carbohydrate is there, how much fat is there, how much protein is there. And, um, when there are, uh, fat and protein rich, uh, molecules or nutrients inside of your small intestine, there's actually, uh, there's, there's peptide hormones, which are secreted by your digestive system. And those peptide hormones circulate throughout your blood and they can impact the way that your brain functions. And some of those peptides float up to your brain and they basically communicate with your apostat or your feeding centers in your brain. And they basically say, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a lot of calories in this food. I just took on a lot of calories in a very short period of time. You should stop eating. And so your apostat, which is in your hypothalamus, which is like a little pea-sized gland that's like above the roof of your mouth, basically that's the thing that controls your appetite. And your, your apostat goes, oh, okay, cool, uh, hold on, decrease appetite, decrease appetite. So as a result of that, you end up just becoming less hungry. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result of becoming less hungry, you end up just taking on less food. And so you hear this constantly from mm-hmm. a lot of people who eat a low-carbohydrate diet is they say, you know what, I'm not even that hungry anymore. I, I eat once a day, I eat mm-hmm. twice a day, and it's really not that hard for me to go long periods of time without food. And, and again, the reason for that is because there's a two-way communication between your digestive system and your brain, and your digestive system is picking up the phone and calling your brain and saying, hey, by the way, you should slow down. Okay? You should slow down the, the, the number of, you should slow down how much you're eating because there's a lot of calories inside of you already. Mm-hmm. Okay, So as a result of that, you end up decreasing your appetite. When you decrease your appetite, Oftentimes, you go into what's called negative calorie balance. Negative calorie balance basically means that your appetite is so low that you end up taking on less calories than your body is actually metabolizing or burning, right? So as just a simple numbers, let's just pretend like you're burning 2,500 calories per day. And your apostat is turned down, and your apostat basically says, okay, cool, like I'm not that hungry anymore. I'm trying to preserve, I'm trying to protect you from taking on too many calories and um, you end up taking on 2,100 calories per day, you now have a 400-calorie negative-calorie balance. And as a result of that, that 400 calories is then gonna translate to weight loss over the course of days to weeks to months to years, Mm -hmm. right? So that's sort of how weight loss can begin. That's number one. Number two, when you eat a diet that is rich in protein and fat, um, there is a molecule known as glycogen. And glycogen is basically the storage form of carbohydrate inside of your liver and inside of your muscles. Okay, so so glycogen is approximately equal to 2,000 calories on average in your average human being, okay? Which means that you can store about 2,000 calories worth of glucose inside of your liver and muscle, okay? So when you're eating a low carbohydrate diet and there just isn't that much uh, carbohydrate energy coming in your mouth, well, that means that there's gonna be less glucose getting inside of your liver and muscle which means that there's going to be less glycogen inside of your liver and muscle. The reason why we care about glycogen is because glycogen is called what's, what's called hygroscopic. Hygroscopic basically means it attracts a lot of water. It's mm-hmm. like a sponge. So for every mole of glucose that's present inside of the glycogen molecule, there is three moles of water to come along with it. So it basically has a three to one water to glycogen ratio. And what that means is that glycogen becomes heavy Mm -hmm. because it attracts water to surround it. So when you lose glycogen, you actually lose three times the molar equivalent of water and then that translates to a lot of weight loss. And so a lot of people within, again we said in the first month you can lose something like eight to 12 pounds and a decent amount of that weight loss is usually not fat tissue, it's just pure water that left because the glycogen stores have decreased. Mm Okay. So that's, those are the two sort of like primary reasons why people end up losing weight. And then again, over the course of time, sometimes that weight loss can stop or weight loss can plateau and uh, then it can become
0: problematic. Okay. Super clear. So I want to get back to the diabetes, but I have a follow-up kind of question for people out there who might sure. be wondering. So some people might be listening to this and like, and they're like, okay, well I want to lose weight. So that sounds like a really good plan. Right sure. Like if that's effective, then I should definitely try that. what are like why why might somebody want to rethink that that method? yeah
1: that's a, that's a that's a very good question okay so if you're attracted to the idea of rapid weight loss, join the club right there's there's millions of people around the world that have eaten themselves into being you know anywhere from ten pounds overweight to one hundred and fifty pounds overweight, and you know the weights just kind of been sticking on them for some period of time and you know, it can ha- it can be very problematic. From an inflammatory perspective, it can significantly increase your risk for many metabolic dysfunctions. It can increase your risk for certain types of cancer. It can increase your risk for type 2 diabetes. It can increase your risk for cardiovascular diseases. So having excess weight on you is generally considered, an, you know, a very a very problematic thing from a metabolic perspective. So people are attracted to this idea of rapid weight loss because why not? I mean, I want to get this 40 pounds off of me you're telling me that I can lose 40 pounds in the next two months? Awesome. I'm in, right? Why would I Why would I not lose 40 pounds in two months versus losing 40 pounds over eight months, right? Of course I'm going to choose the two because let's get it off of me, right? Why, why do I have to wait? But here's the problem. Um, when you choose a low-carbohydrate diet, again, the low-carbohydrate is a very effective way of losing weight for all the reasons we just described. But I said earlier that low carbohydrate diets induce insulin resistance and insulin resistance is a very important topic in the world of health that we need to, have to, must talk about because if we don't, we're, we're, we're pretending like it doesn't exist, okay? So insulin resistance is caused by the accumulation of excess saturated fat inside of your liver and muscle. Okay. And most people are unaware that this is even the case, but here's what happens when you eat fat and protein rich foods, let's say fat and protein rich foods include things like white meat, red meat, chicken, fish, dairy products, oils of many different types. Um, and even, you know, plant-based foods from, uh, sorry, plant-based fat rich foods, like, uh, nuts, seeds, avocados, olives, coconuts. Okay. They all contain a significant amount of triglyceride, and that triglyceride, some depending on the type of fat, you know, it has more saturated fat or less. But saturated fat is mainly found inside of the animal world, mm-hmm. mainly. Okay, so let's just say I ate a meal that was, uh, you know, saturated fat rich, like, uh, like I had a cheeseburger. Okay, it's a cheeseburger with a, a, a white bun. So the saturated fat comes from the hamburger itself plus the cheese on top of it. And then there's some refined carbohydrate to come along with it in the bun on the top and the bottom, right? So you consume that food and what ends up happening is the saturated fat inside of that burger and inside of that cheese ends up getting distributed to tissues, okay? But before it gets to the tissues, what ends up happening is that in your small intestine, the saturated fat ends up getting absorbed through the walls of your small intestine. Okay, so imagine you you have a garden hose outside. I'm sure you've probably touched a garden hose before, right? So... You got a garden hose and you turn on the spigot and then it's, you know, water is flowing through the hose and then it comes out the other end. Right. So you can that's like a an analogy of what your intestine looks like. Okay. But imagine if you took a a nail and you popped it through the side of the hose. Okay. What would happen is that as soon as you turn the hose on, now you'd have water coming out of that that little hole. Right. And you could do that hundreds of thousands of times, and then you end up with a, a leaky hose that's now spilling water out of every single different hole. Okay. So your small intestine is permeable in that same regard okay there's there's you know billions trillions of these little holes in them and that's okay that's that's fine the reason that they're there the reason that it's sort of constructed to be permeable in the first place is because the stuff that's on the inside of your piping has to be able to transfer through the walls of your piping to get into your blood all right So the saturated fat molecules end up getting absorbed through the walls of your small intestine. They get put into what's called your lymph system. Your lymph system is basically a way of transporting waste products. Your lymph system then dumps the saturated fat molecules into your blood. And inside of your blood, they're put into these little things called chylomicrons. So imagine, you know, this this is a chylomicron particle in my hand right here. There's trillions of these in your blood at all times. These chylomicron particles can basically, they're little spaceships, they're little cargo ships, that gets stuff put inside of them. So I can put put cholesterol inside of these chylomicrons and I can also put uh, saturated fat inside of these things. So if I have some saturated fat that came from my diet, I can then package them into these chylomicron particles and then the chylomicron particles end up circulating all throughout your blood so they can eventually distribute the cholesterol and triglyceride elsewhere. So what ends up happening is these chylomicron particles give the saturated fat to your liver, to your muscle, and your adipose tissue. Those are the sort of three primary destinations. In an ideal world, these, these, uh, the, the fatty acids would go directly to your adipose tissue and that's it because your adipose tissue is a very safe place to store fatty acids. It's perfectly designed to be able to take it up. It's perfectly designed to be able to hold it for long periods of time and that's the right location. But what ends up happening is that these chylomicrons distribute uh, these fatty acids to your adipose tissue and then there's a spillover effect And the spillover ends up going inside of your liver and inside of your muscle tissue. And again, that's okay as long as the amount of fatty acids that get inside of them is very small. But, because that's their biological design, is to have a small amount. But what ends up happening is when you're eating a low-carbohydrate diet and you consume a cheeseburger for lunch today, then maybe you have some meatloaf for dinner tomorrow. Then maybe you have some bulletproof coffee with coconut oil in it tomorrow morning. And then you have some cheese and yogurt for lunch. And then you have another... uh, I don't know, milkshake for dinner, and so on and so forth. Every meal, you end up taking on more saturated fat and more and more and more and more and more. So what that does is in a short period of time, it overwhelms your liver and muscle with too much saturated fat. And your liver and muscle end up going into a self-defense mode where they're like, oh my God, oh my God, where is this stuff coming from? I don't even want this. I didn't ask for this in the first place. And I can't block it from coming in. So your liver and muscle go into self-defense mode Self defense mode basically says, How can I block or how can I pre- pre- prevent more of this stuff from coming in? And the easiest way for any tissue to block energy, fatty acids, amino acids, glucose from coming inside is just to tell insulin to go away. Because insulin is the gatekeeper, it's the master anabolic hormone in your body. And the, the insulin's job is literally to go, Knock, knock, hey, muscle, hey, liver. There's some glucose inside of the blood. There's some amino acids inside of the blood. There's some fatty acids inside of the blood. Do you want to take it up? Because it's here right now. If you want to take it up, this is your signal. Go. And your liver and muscle can respond by either saying, cool, sweet, thanks for telling me you're here. I didn't even know. And then they open their doors and they allow that stuff to come in. Or your liver and muscles can say, uh-uh-uh, I'm not ready. I don't have enough space inside of me. I don't have enough room inside of me because guess what? There's all these saturated fatty acid molecules that, you, that are already inside of me. Mm-hmm. I got to go oxidize these bad boys first. Mm-hmm. So that's what ends up happening is these saturated fat molecules end up occupying the space and basically creating a metabolic traffic jam such that when you eat one banana or a bowl of black beans or just a small amount of carbohydrate later – The glucose from that carbohydrate comes to the door of this liver and muscle. Insulin goes, knock, knock, there's some glucose in the blood, do you wanna take it up? And both of those tissues respond by saying, sorry, I'm not open for business, go away. So effectively, the glucose gets trapped in your blood, it ends up accumulating, you end up with a high blood glucose value, and then you end up with an insulin secretion problem too, because your pancreas goes, oh, well, these four units of insulin didn't seem to get the job done. Why don't I just go make more insulin? And then it basically overpowers your liver and muscle into behaving so that it starts to take glucose into into your tissues, okay? So what does all this mean? Here's what it means. Low carbohydrate diets create a metabolic traffic jam in your liver and in your muscle. And as a result of that, you end up developing, you accumulate saturated fat in both tissues. That then causes this thing called insulin resistance where both of those tissues are not paying attention to insulin very well anymore as a self-defense mechanism. And that becomes hugely problematic because insulin resistance is the single condition, the single most important condition in our health world today, in my professional opinion. And the reason for that is because insulin resistance influences almost every chronic disease that you can possibly think of, whether it's prediabetes and type 2 diabetes, whether it's high cholesterol, coronary artery disease, hypertension, uh obesity, many forms of cancer, chronic kidney disease, erectile dysfunction, neuropathy, retinopathy, blindness, and the list goes on. So if you develop a lot of insulin resistance and that insulin resistance grows over the course of time, sure, you can lose weight today, but you end up increasing your risk for many chronic diseases into the future. I don't know about you, but I don't want that, and I'm assuming that most people don't want that either. So it becomes, again, a short-term solution that turns into a long-term metabolic liability. So instead, what we recommend is that people adopt a different way of eating, and that is a more plant-focused approach where they're actually eating a low-fat diet. A low-fat diet insulin sensitizes you and make you hyper-insulin sensitive, which is the opposite, and as a result of that, you end up losing weight in the short-term, which is a short-term solution, And your risk for chronic disease comes way down into the future. So it's a short-term win, and it's a long-term win simultaneously. Mm
0: -hmm. Does that make sense? makes so much sense. I love your analogies. And you make it very clear, yes. Thank you for that. For sure. Okay. So I'm at the doctor. I get the news. My doctor says, oh, okay, you have to eat very low carb. At that point, I mean, I guess it depends on my numbers, but typically at that point, would I be put on, um, medication to manage my diabetes while then focusing on a low carbohydrate diet? Is that sort of like the, the path, the typical path forward?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So your doctor's responsibility is to basically try and figure out what's the, what's the best way for, what's the most effective way to prevent you from getting, you know, more diseased over the course of time. So it all depends on, what is the number that shows up on the blood test, okay? If you come to the doctor's office and your fasting blood glucose is beneath 100, that means you're non-diabetic. And they're like, cool, sweet, high five. You did a good job. If your A1C value is less than 5.7%, they're gonna go, so, cool, sweet, high high five. You're technically considered non-diabetic. If either your fasting glucose, uh, sorry, if your fasting glucose is between 100 and 124, that means you're sort of moderately elevated. That means you're in the pre-diabetes zone or if your A1C is basically between 5.7 and 6.4%, then you're in the danger zone, again, pre-diabetes. okay? And then if your fasting glucose is 125 or greater, or your A1C is 6.5 or greater, now you're in the type 2 diabetes zone, okay? So depending on where you are on this spectrum, from non-diabetic to pre-diabetic to type 2 diabetes, they have to put that through their algorithm and say, okay, the standard of care tells me that at this blood glucose value, with this A1C value, with this body weight, Here's my recommendation. You should be taking metformin. I'm going to prescribe you 1,000 milligrams per day, and I'm going to put you onto a low-carbohydrate diet, and I'm going to tell you to go exercise, You know, quote-unquote, diet and exercise, diet and exercise. right? So most people who get diagnosed with some form of diabetes end up being prescribed medication. And medication does have a time and a place. It does. Mm-hmm. But it's not a long-term game, and there can be a lot of uh, un- unfortunate consequences that come along with it. Unfortunate side effects, um, and so what we try and recommend people to do is um, think of your food as medicine, and think of your food as being a first line defense against a you know growing collection of metabolic dysfunctions. And if you can resort to food first, you know what you're likely to find is what you know thousands of our clients have found over the course of time, which is that when you adopt a whole food plant based diet and it's low in fat, your medication requirements plummet they plummet quickly and that's kind of one of the beauties of eating a whole food plant-based diet is that, you know, you, your need for pharmaceutical medication goes down and your doctor can see that pretty dark.
0: Yeah. Quick. Yeah. a perfect segue because then my next question was, okay, so what's the alternative and you kind of laid it out, um, for us here. So a low fat whole food plant-based diet is, uh, the an alternative to that. Um, and so why does that work better?
1: Yeah. So the reason why it works better is because the insulin resistance game that we just mm-hmm. described, where there's excess accumulation of saturated fat inside of your liver and muscle, if that's your starting point and that's where you currently exist right now because you've been eating a low carbohydrate diet or because you've been, uh, you know, maybe not paying attention to your diet, eating the standard American diet, okay, there's a way out of that. And the way out of that is to, number one, significantly reduce the amount of saturated fat that goes in your mouth because that's the culprit. That's the thing that's causing the traffic jam in the first place. So number one, we have to significantly reduce the supply, okay? Sometimes people twist my words and they say, oh, well, I have to stop eating all fat. And the answer is no, you can't. You can't stop eating all fat. It's no such thing, right? What I recommend doing is to eat a whole food plant-based diet that just contains small amounts of nuts and seeds and avocados and olives and, you know, try and eliminate oil if possible from your diet because people who are living with diabetes will benefit from reducing their their oil intake or getting rid of it altogether. So number one, significantly reduce your total fat intake. Number two, eat a very plant-rich, heavy diet, okay? From fruits and vegetables and legumes and whole grains. And when you do that, a number of things unfold in your favor. Number one, the, uh, the traffic jam inside of your liver and muscle tends to get less problematic your liver and muscle end up taking those, those accumulated saturated fat molecules and they send them to the mitochondria and the mitochondria oxidize them for ATP. They disappear and then you end up reducing the sort of stress that both of those two tissues are experiencing. Uh, So you, the way I like to think about it is that you get out of the fatty acid economy and you enter the glucose economy, okay? You you get rid of using fatty acids for fuel and having fatty acids enter your mouth and that being the sort of Mm -hmm. primary currency inside of your, your, your digestive system and instead transition over to the carbohydrate economy where you're eating more of that in abundance and you're storing more of that and you're oxidizing more of that on demand. Okay. That's number one. But number two, we, we also have to talk about this fun little thing called fiber. Okay. So whole foods contain actually nine different classes of, of nutrients vitamins, I'm sorry, let me start with the top, the macronutrients, carbohydrate, fat, protein. Those are the three energy-deriving macronutrients, okay? Carbohydrate, fat, protein. Then in addition to that, you have vitamins, minerals, fiber, water, antioxidants, and phytochemicals. So that's a total of nine classes. Three of them are macronutrients, six of them are micronutrients. So every time you eat a whole food, it could be a banana, it could be a bowl of black beans, it could be some quinoa, it could be a potato, it could be a cucumber, it could be uh, tofu, okay? Anytime you eat a whole food, the whole food is actually a three-dimensional matrix that contains every single one of those nine classes of micronutrients, okay? The, the distribution, what, what you'll find in something like a, a cucumber is just slightly different than what you'll find in a banana in terms of, you know, how much of any one of those given things it has. But the fact of the matter is the cucumber has all nine of them, the banana has all nine of them, the tofu has all nine of them, the chickpeas have all nine of them okay now that three-dimensional matrix basically has rebar inside of it and the rebar is the stuff called fiber so let's take a let's have you ever been driving down the highway or like driving you know through the city and you see a highway overpass in the middle of construction or like a bridge being constructed. You ever seen these Mm -hmm. things before? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, so oftentimes what they'll do when they're constructing these things is they will create a, um, before they pour the concrete into like the support pillars for an overpass as an example, they will frame it with a bunch of wood on the outside and then they will put rebar, which is actually metal on the inside and then that will give it its sort of skeleton. And then as soon as that whole thing is constructed, they will then bring in the concrete trucks and the concrete trucks will then pour concrete directly into that, and then they will let that dry, and they'll remove the wood, and now you have yourself a, a concrete pillar, okay? So the reason why we're talking about this is because the rebar that's inside of that concrete support is actually what's giving it its structural stability. Same thing. The fiber inside of a whole food is what's giving it its structural stability. So there's fiber inside of a banana. There's fiber inside of a cucumber. There's fiber inside of a, uh, you know, a chickpea, and the fiber... Looks and feels slightly different in each one of those, and it gives it a different characteristic shape and feel, and, and size and density, right? But the idea is that that fiber is there to serve as the structural rebar, and then in addition to that, you have all the other nutrients: the the carbohydrate, fat, protein, the water, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and phytochemicals that are all interspersed and you know distributed all throughout the three-dimensional area. So when you put that in your mouth your mouth starts to grind it up, it gets inside of your stomach, it starts to go into an acid bath and get un, uh, decomposed. And then it goes into your small intestine and you have a whole cocktail of digestive enzymes which are there to start to rip it apart, right? Okay. The fiber, again, is a structural molecule. And the fiber, you cannot digest the fiber. It's, it's actually non-digestible as far as human beings are concerned it has to get passed into your large intestine way further down your digestive tract and then your microbiome, the bacteria inside your microbiome are the ones that can actually break that down and, and use it for their own fuel, right? But the reason why it's important is because fiber slows down the digestive process significantly. So fiber acts as a break, and it basically slows the rate at which carbohydrate or glucose and fructose get inside of your blood. It slows the rate at which fatty acids get inside of your blood. It slows the rate at which amino acids get inside of your blood. And that's a good thing because in the post-meal state, you don't end up with these rapid blood glucose spikes and these rapid fatty acid spikes that you see people on the internet claiming happens. So if you're number one eating a low-fat diet, and you don't have a metabolic traffic jam inside of your liver and muscle, and number two, you're eating fiber-rich foods that lead to a normal physiological response of blood glucose and fatty acids and amino acids over the course of the next few hours, then you end up with what's called totally normal digestive physiology. And that's a good thing because it keeps your blood glucose controlled, it keeps your lipid panel controlled, and it keeps you feeling good, having a lot of energy, being able to store those carbohydrates inside of your liver and muscle And that translates to excellent short-term health and excellent long-term health down the road.
0: Love it. So good. So clear. I just really like how you explain things. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It makes me so happy that I eat a whole food plant-based diet. (laughs) Like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's
1: funny, actually, because there's so many things that are happening Mm. under the surface that like, you know, what I'm explaining right here is just like this, the tip of the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's literally thousands of things behind the surface or under the surface that, you know, scientists are still trying to mm-hmm. figure out. Um, and it's just fascinating because every time you learn something new, you're like, I never knew that was yeah. happening. I never knew that was happening, yeah. right? How long have you been eating a plant-based diet for You Well,
0: let's see. I've never eaten meat <laughs> in my life, never once. Oh, and wow. then I've been eating plant-based specifically since 2010.
1: 2010. So you are a 100% plant-based mm-hmm. eater. Yes. And what was it that got you interested in eating a
0: plant-based diet? I was plant-based? working for um, a plant-based company. And I was like, because mm. I was vegetarian my whole life. And I was like, well, if I'm going to work for this company, I, I better just give it a shot at least to like drop the, the dairy and the eggs. And I did that. And it was really easy. And I felt really good. And I was like, oh, I don't think there's a reason to go back. And then I just, I mean, it just stuck. And then I read more about it. And then I just was like, yeah, this is amazing. So it was a very easy sure. transition for me. Um, and yeah, so it, the, the thing that amazes me, and I think amazes so many people, is that the thing that helps us the most, and when we're, you know, talk, we're talking about diabetes specifically, the thing that helps us is the very thing that we are told not to do. And so I think that it has people fucked up. You know, it has people like confused and like, okay, but wait, this is not I can't eat fruit. I can't eat carbohydrates. And so if somebody is listening to this and they're like, okay, I I I'm, I have diabetes. I've been told not to eat carbohydrates. I'm, I'm I'm hearing this. And I know that you have so many people in your community and you work with so many people to to reverse right there, this condition, what do you tell somebody who's like confused by the conflicting information? <laughs>
1: it's very simple. <laughs> Turn off the internet. <laughs> and and I hate to be so crass when I say that, but, um, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, these, these can be very confusing places. And, uh, in today's world, it almost feels like everyone's an expert, right? And there are people who are qualified to talk about nutrition and fitness, and then there are people who are, you know, claim to be experts in nutrition and fitness. And within a short period of time, you end up having a whole bunch of cooks in the kitchen, everybody telling you something that's slightly different than the other person, a lot of conflict, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of name calling. And before you know it, um, your average person who's just trying to find a way to eat healthier gets confused, gets frustrated, and then says, you know what? Even these people can't figure out what the heck they're talking about. I'm going to do nothing. I'm literally going to do nothing because there doesn't seem to be any consensus, right? And so it kind of breeds a lot of apathy, which is unfortunate because that's not the exact opposite of what we want, right? So um, I've been in this game for 20 years. And when I say this game, I mean when I first was diagnosed with diabetes, the year 2002 i switched to eating a plant-based diet in 2003 and from that moment onwards i started invested myself into really understanding the science behind it because i thought it was fascinating Mm -hmm. you know i was like what the heck is happening inside of my body and is this is what i'm experiencing also applicable to other people Mm -hmm. if so cool let's go try and learn it so that we can help other people right and in this process after having read thousands and thousands and thousands of papers about diabetes and cholesterol metabolism and lipids and you know weight gain and all-cause mortality and really trying to understand the, the research in as objective a, a manner as possible uh i've come to the conclusion in a very short period of time that like a lot of other people in the plant-based world have also come to which is that eating a plant-based diet is the most powerful form of medication that the world has ever seen you know, and and I'm this not hyperbole, and I'm not trying to like exaggerate something that doesn't need to be exaggerated, but eating a plant-based diet is a may not be the one hundred percent solution for all humankind, but it is an unbelievably powerful medicine that can help you reduce your risk for and reverse many chronic diseases like we've been talking about. you know? So if you look into the research, you'll find that people who eat a plant-based diet or the studies that, that demonstrate the power of a plant-based diet show significant, uh, improvements for, or, or, you know, can significantly reduce your risk for obesity for many forms of cardiovascular disease, whether it's coronary artery disease, hypertension, high cholesterol, um, atherosclerosis, uh, type two diabetes, pre-diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, the symptomology of that can be significantly improved. Um, and then in addition to that, we also have neuropathy, which is you know nerve tingling or nerve damage. Um, and then there's also a re- strong body of research that demonstrates the power of eating a plant-based diet for reducing your risk for the development of dementia and Alzheimer's disease 30 to 40 years in the future. right? So this massive collection of information that we have developed as a scientific community from literally the 1930s all the way to now, to call it 90 years worth of research, is so large that it is almost overwhelming, right? And it is there, it is available for your average person to go read, but you know what, your average person isn't gonna just go to PubMed and type in, you know, trying to read some esoteric science because it's just too much. It's just too complicated, Mm -hmm. right? But the point is that that research exists and it is there and it is powerful and it really demonstrates the incredible power of eating a plant-based diet but yet on the internet the exact opposite thing is happening and the opposite thing is that people want to be people want quick solutions people want to lose 16 pounds in the next 2 weeks people want to lose 30 pounds in the next 2 months because they want to fit into this wedding dress or they want to look good when they go to the beach right and a lot of what people do is sort of driven by like a short-term mindset and a band-aid mindset the way that I think mm-hmm. about it is like let me just let me just do this thing so that I can like patch this problem And then I can solve it in the short term. and like, I don't care about the long term. Who who cares? You know, like, let me just solve this quickly. And so that ends up causing a lot of problems down the road. And this, uh, you know, as long as there will people, there will be companies and businesses and people who prey on this short term mindset, Mm -hmm. um, then you're going to constantly have these problems. But if you really take a step back, take a deep breath and say, all right, cool. I'm trying to do something for myself that works in the short term for sure but I'm also trying to do something that works for me in the long-term for sure. And I almost prioritize my long-term health more than I care about my short-term health, Mm. right? And if you can really, really, really get into that mindset and really believe it, then you are likely to migrate over to eating a plant-based diet because the information and the data is so strong that it's almost impossible to deny.
0: Yeah, And that's a really powerful um, mindset shift to say, oh, I'm doing yeah. this for the long-term. Because then I think too, we're more likely to stick with it because we're not looking for that instant gratification as well, because we're doing it for, not that it won't benefit us right now because it will, but we're also like going to stick with it because we know that this is kind of for the long game. So I re- that was a really powerful statement. Yeah. Thank you for offering that.
1: You're absolutely right, for sure. And, and one thing that we've also noticed within our coaching program, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we run a coaching program specifically for people with all forms of diabetes to transition their lifestyle. And in the first iteration of the coaching program, we told people, you know, come join, hang out with us for as long as you want. And then you can, you can peace out when the time is right for you. Um, just, just kind of, so make people feel like they're not locked into some kind of contract. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, what ended up happening is that there were a lot of people who joined and then they would stick around for like a month or two months or three months and they wouldn't get very good results because they're looking for the short term Mm -hmm. fix. And then they were sort of acting impulsively and then they would leave and they'd be like, oh, like, they didn't really work, right? And then we started to switch the way that we communicated and we started to say, you know what? Like, I'm not even going to let you into this world unless you commit for a six-month period or a 12-month period, mm-hmm. period end a story, mm-hmm. right? If you wanted to solve this problem in the next month, do it by right. yourself. We're not interested. Right. You got to be here for at least six to 12 months and if you can commit to that time frame, then we can commit to significantly improving your Smart. health. And so when we made that switch, holy crap, the number of people that got good mm. results went through the roof. Mm. And the uh, the impact that it was having on people's health was just like, is unbelievable. So you're right. having You got to switch mm. your mindset. If you're in the short-term mindset, switch it over to a long-term mindset and it'll change everything about you as far as I'm oh, concerned.
0: Beautiful. So good. Okay, so I have... Um, we, I can't believe we've been talking for so long, but this has got by really, really fast. So I have some questions from our community, but I first want to ask, because we, we touched on like, okay, if you're in doing the standard American diet thing, or if you're doing the um, low carbohydrate thing, you know, eating, eat, you know, switching to plants. Awesome. If people are eating a plant-based diet, and they want to and, and, you know maybe their their numbers aren't right where they want them to be what do you suggest is it just playing around with the amount of like nuts and avocados and um like coconut milk and that kind of stuff in your diet or like who what 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 advice would you give a person who's already eating a whole food plant based diet
1: yeah right right okay so you could take you know, 100 people and put them into a room, 100 whole food plant based eaters and put them into a room and say, What do you mm-hmm. eat? And you'll come up with 100 different mm-hmm. solutions, 100 different answers because everybody has slightly different preferences, different, uh, you know, activity levels, different desires. And so as a result of that, there is really like no template. Um, but let's just give an example. Suppose somebody is eating a whole food plant-based diet and they're committed to doing that and yet they still find that they are you know, 20 pounds overweight and they just can't seem to get that extra 20 pounds off of them, right? What I would do is I would do a deep dive into their diet and what I'm looking for is trying to figure out things like what is your macronutrient breakdown, meaning how many grams of carbohydrate do you eat per day? How many grams of fat? How many grams of protein do you eat per day, okay? So I'd want to know that. Um... I would also want to know how much fiber are you eating per day in total. And I also want to know, do you include oil in your diet? Yes or no, because oil can be unfortunately pretty controversial in today's world, right? And then in addition to that, I also want to take a look at are there nut butters in your diet? Yes or no. And kind of take a look at the sort of like overall sort of like fat rich foods, you know, because we talked about the fact that they can be problematic. So let's say we did a deep dive and we took a look at that and we found out that this individual, as an example, who was trying to lose 20 pounds was eating, you know, 50 grams of fat per day and eating, uh, you know, 110 grams of protein per day and then maybe they had 300 grams of carbohydrate per day, right? And I take a look at that and I go, okay, cool, sweet. Here's what I would try. I would do an experiment, okay? I'm, I'm all about short-term experimentation to try and figure out what works and what doesn't work. So I would do a seven-day experiment or even maybe like a 14-day experiment and I would say, all right, you're eating 50 grams of fat per day, and here are your sources, sources and some of the, some of it contains oil. Number one, we're gonna take out oil for the next week. Can you take out oil? 100%, get rid of it. And people go, oh, that seems hard, but okay, I'm willing to try. So I take out oil. And then I say, okay, your new target for fat is 30 grams of fat per day. Okay, so I wanna drop your fat intake by 20 grams of fat per day. And we're gonna do it by eliminating oil, and then I'm also gonna get rid of this almond butter that you have with your breakfast, And I'm also gonna get rid of this uh, coconut milk that you usually have with your dinner, all right? So by making those small adjustments, now we've dropped your fat intake from 50 down to 30. And as a result of that, maybe your protein intake might change a little bit. And then I might replace some of that energy with uh, more fruits. And I'd say, all right, I want you to eat uh, four more servings of fruit per day. I don't care what it is. It could be apples, bananas, papayas, mangoes, blueberries, I don't care. Just put four more servings of fruit into your diet. Let's see what happens. So usually in those scenarios, what people will end up doing is they'll make those small tweaks and then you know they'll come back a week later and they'll be like, oh wow, uh, I just lost a pound and a half. How'd that happen, right? And then I go, okay, cool, that's a good sign, right? Let's continue it, let's do it again and then we repeat it over and over and over again, right? Generally speaking, people who eat a whole food plant-based diet are unaware of how much fat and protein they're consuming. They think that just because they're eating a whole food plant-based diet, that everything is going to be fine and their whole health is going to take care of itself. And the, the answer is, in general, sure. But eating a whole food, plant based diet doesn't necessarily mean that your macronutrient distribution is set properly. Secondarily, a lot of people who eat a whole food, plant based diet still incorporate some packaged and processed foods into their diet. You might there might be like some uh, I don't know some pita chips. There might be an Impossible burger here and there. There might be a Beyond Meat burger here or there. They might have some like soy crackers right so what i do is i try and fish out and try and look for those like refined and packaged and processed manufactured foods and one by one just yank them out just boom we're going to do next week with no impossible burgers mm-hmm. we're going to do the following week where you eat none of those pita chips right we're going to do another week where you don't you don't get store bought hummus that's got a lot of oil in it you're going to make your own hummus at home right tiny little changes and those things can have a significant impact because they can significantly change how much whole food you're eating versus how much refined food you're eating and, you know, how much fat you're eating in
0: particular. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And I think that those, for those people who are already eating a whole food plant-based diet, I think that those are very doable changes. Um, it's not like Total. drastic dramatic things. So that's, that's a very, um, yeah, that's very helpful. So I'm, I'm Total. going to just look quickly down this list of questions and just sure. see, do you have time for a couple of questions? Let me wrap yeah, up.
1: Let's do it. Okay.
0: Um, so I ha- let's see. This woman has a question about her dad. Um, her dad finds that the glucose levels um, uh, increase quite a bit after eating fruit and grains. So he decides that he should avoid those and eat more meat, chocolate, and fatty foods because they don't raise the sugar as much immediately after a meal. How would, what do you have to say about that? If if someone's eating fruit, it's okay. great. Yeah. Okay. Go for it.
1: Okay the reason why his blood glucose is going up after a meal is because i guarantee i 100% guarantee his fat intake is too high to begin with so everything that we've talked about over the past mm-hmm. hour is that the the metabolic traffic jam that exists from creating too from eating too much fatty saturated fat from meat and from animal based foods that is the problem so rather than saying when i eat fruit my glucose goes up i would say no 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 the fruit is just a messenger You got to pay attention to everything that you ate before the fruit. What did you eat before the fruit? And if the answer is, well, he ate meat and cheese and fish and eggs, then the answer is, okay, fine. That's the problem. Let's reduce your intake of that. And when you reduce your intake of that, then you can significantly increase your intake of fruit. And all of a sudden your blood glucose becomes very controllable. Beautiful.
0: Um, what is your thought on good quality plant-based protein powder?
1: Uh, I'm for it. I'm definitely for it. I've been using a for the first 14 years of eating this way, I was eating a hemp protein powder and it made, it helped me out significantly in putting on a little bit of weight and also helping me recover from intense exercise. So I got no problems with it.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, most of these questions we have already answered. You have, you have already answered. I didn't answer any. You've done a great job. (laughs) Um, let's see. Nope. Did that one. The connection of fatty liver disease and diabetes. Mm -hmm. That was a,
1: Fatty liver disease is, uh, it is is advanced insulin resistance of your liver. Mm. Okay, so insulin resistance is the precursor to prediabetes and type two diabetes, and insulin resistance affects your liver and your muscle tissue. So when you develop insulin resistance in your liver, and it goes, it gets larger and larger and larger and larger and larger over the course of time, it can turn into fatty liver disease. It's a reversible condition, but you need to have to must control your total fat intake and s- switch over to a plant based diet. We've had people in our community that have reversed fatty liver disease. It takes time, but it's definitely possible. Mm,
0: okay. And literally all the other questions you have already answered. So thank you for doing this and for um, and for volunteering your time to talk with me and uh, answer all these questions and to give such wonderful insight. It's such important information and more people need to know this stuff. I mean.
1: Amen to that. Molly, thank you so much. This has been very fun and I admire the work that you're doing to try and really spread the, the gift, I wish I should say, the, the, the present of eating a whole food plant-based diet. I think you're doing a great job and uh, you know I'd love to continue to chit-chat over the course of time and make sure that we can change people's lives yeah, together. Yeah, for sure. So if
0: somebody wants to um, find your work and find out more, where should they go?
1: Sure. Uh, just go to masteringdiabetes.org. That's the easiest place to go right now. So, masteringdiabetes.org, and there you can find out information about our book, New York Times best-selling book from 2020. Um, we have a podcast, just like you. We have a YouTube channel. We got a strong Instagram presence, a Facebook presence. You name it. So, you got a blog, and, and whatever you're, you're looking for in, in you know scientific information, you're looking for stories, come and we can try and help you out as much
0: as possible. Okay. Masteringdiabetes.org. Awesome. Thank okay. you so much, Cyrus. Thank you, Molly. Bye. Hey there. Did I tell you that was an awesome episode? Oh, I loved it. I hope that you loved it as much as we did. All right, listen. If you are inspired to try trying to eat a whole food plant based diet to turn around your health, then I have what you need. So just like Cyrus, we have seen in our community in in Clean Food Dirty Girl, thousands of people reverse their health and go from really struggling to thriving. It is so inspiring It is why we do what we do. The power of plants is incredible. So we have in Plant Fueled Life, we have meal plans, we have recipes and they are all whole food, plant-based and oil-free. So you don't have to think about it. We have loads of low fat recipes and plenty of our members follow the the mastering diabetes protocol using our meal plans and it works really, really well for them. So if you wanna try it, then test it out for two months and see what it can do for you. Um, We'll give you the first 10 days on us when you sign up for our free trial, which is linked in the show notes. Um, give this a try. It is literally life changing and we have exactly what you need to start. We have the resources for you. We have the how to's. We will tell you exactly um, you know, how to cook this food, what you need to buy at the grocery store and how to put it all together. So we got you covered. We make it really, really easy for you. So try it out, give it a shot. It's um, Here's how I like to think of this. like There's only an upside to it. Right, like if you try this way of eating, there's, n- there's no downside to it, right? There's absolutely no downside to trying. And the thing is, once you taste how delicious our recipes are, you're gonna be inspired to keep eating this way because it's so damn delicious. And so there are a lot of you know, plant-based resources out there, but the thing with what we do at Clean Food Dirty Girl and with Plant Fueled Life is that we make the, the recipes so dang delicious that it makes it really easy for people to keep on this path and to keep doing this. So you gotta test it out and let us know what you think. We're always here to answer questions, support at cleanfooddirtygirl.com. Go in the show notes, get your first 10 days free on us and uh, see what this beautiful way of eating can do for your beautiful body.